0: Thank you so much for coming this morning and being a part of Outward Church and uh, hanging out with us. Got some work going on over here at the UGM and that's part of the fun of being outside, right? So uh, that's great. If you're new here, I just uh, I thank you for coming out and checking out uh, Outward Church. If you're here just visiting until your church starts meeting, uh, we're so glad that you're here and we pray that this is a, a great time for you uh, while you're uh, waiting for your church to open back up. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter eight. We'll be picking it up in verse twenty-six. Uh, this is a strange story, and I'll just give you a little a little uh, uh, disclaimer here, and that is that there's there's some stuff in here about evil spirits and stuff, and so I'm going to try to calm that down a little bit while I'm while I'm reading and so forth. But uh, it w- won't be anything worse than what's in the, the Lord of the Rings movie. If you've watched that, I watched that with my kids last night, that was. Uh, That was a little crazy. They might have been a little young for that, but it will not be that bad. So uh, in any case, uh, yeah, we're in Luke chapter six, beginning in verse 22. It says, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Let me just stop right there for a second. Uh, Jesus has just calmed the storm. They're going across uh, this lake, and they are... Uh, in, in the middle of this, and this giant storm comes up, and Jesus just speaks, and he calms the storm down, and he asks his disciples, where is your faith? They get to the other side, and this is what happens. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had wore no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among tombs. And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him but Jesus sent him away saying return to your home and declare how much God has done for you and he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him now I don't know about you but when I read this story I think to myself what does this have to do with me and then I begin to think what does it have to do with you you people that are going to show up this morning uh, what does is, what is this idea of demon possession have to do with us? What, is, what does it actually mean that this, is, that this is happening, and why does Luke tell us this story? What's happening here? Well, I want to tell you this, that you and I have a lot more in common with this guy than we really realize. We have a lot more in common with this crazy story than we could possibly imagine, because it's, I do believe that it really happened, but it is also a metaphor for our lives. Just like last week, we talked about how this is a metaphor of the storms of life, that this great storm came and Jesus comes in and he speaks a word. He speaks a word that says, where is your faith? Because your faith isn't in me, it's in other things, it's in other places, Where is your faith? And Jesus speaks this word, and it calms the storm immediately. And so Luke is telling us another story about Jesus' absolute control, Jesus' absolute ability to be able to control all things and to be able to speak a word and change things in a moment's notice and to be able to make things completely different. And so he has power over the natural world. He has power over the weather. He has power over all things. But now it's gonna talk about how he has power over the spiritual world. He has power over these demons. All of this power is merely just borrowed from God. And they have it for a moment in God's eyes. They have it for a moment. And Jesus walks on the scene and he immediately takes control because Jesus has power over the spiritual world. But the question is, do you and I want that? Do you and I really want Jesus to be able to come in and take control in a moment in time in our life? Or is there resistance on our part? Is there resistance to what Jesus may be doing, what Jesus may ask of us Is there resistance on our part to say, I don't want anything to do with them? Is there a sense in you and in me that would say, if I come to Jesus with this, if I come to Jesus with my life, if I come to Jesus with my stuff, if I come to Jesus with my lifestyle, with my intimate partnerships, my relationships, if I come to Jesus with this, what will he say? What will he do? What will be made of me? And that's what happens in this story as well. If you look at the first verse there, verse 26, it's actually verse 27. Jesus steps out on land, and what meets him there is this man who had demons. And this guy is naked. He is houseless. He is a houseless person, homeless, homeless. He is somebody who, if you read in the other uh, Gospels, Matthew and Mark also tell the same story. They're slightly different. It says that there's two people uh, who are possessed in there. Luke doesn't include the other guy. For some reason, he just includes this one guy. But it talks about how this man was into self-harm. He was harming himself with rocks. He was a mess. He's sitting there. He's without clothes, He is without a home. He is bloodied. And he lives in a graveyard. He lives in a graveyard. And so it says this. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, verse 28, and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. This demon... Or this man, we're not sure whether does the do the demons recognize him. It seems like they have. It seems like they know who this Jesus, Son of the Most High God, is. There's a recognition there in uh, in a moment. But I believe that these personalities, this personality, these personalities of evil, and the personality of this man have become so intertwined. Evil has so far overtaken his life that it has become him. It is who he is. And so he says to Jesus, He says, uh, What do you want with me? And commentators say that what he's really saying is, Leave me alone. Get away from me. Have you come here to torment me? What do you really want from me, Jesus? What do you really want? Because there's a sense in him that says, if I get close to Jesus, if Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, comes close to me, he's going to see the evil within me. He's going to notice. He's going to see what's wrong with me. Many of us don't get close to Jesus because he would see, he would know, he would understand. But there's this fallacy, there is this falsehood, there's this lie that the enemy wants you to believe, and the the, the lie is this, if I get close to Jesus, if I get close to him, then I'll be tormented. If I get a little bit closer to him, then I'll have to let go of all of those things that I've been doing. I'll have to let go of this sinful behavior. I'll have to agree with the scriptures. about my personal life. I'll have to agree with the scriptures about all of the false gods that I worship. I'll have to agree with the word of Jesus that says that I should not just live for myself the way that the world says. I'll have to agree with this. And it'll be torment. It'll be something that'll tear me apart. I won't survive. I won't get through it. I won't be able to. To deal with it. You see, what happens in scripture is that when people realize that they are face to face with God, there is great torment. There is great torment. In fact, if you were to look, and I don't want you to turn there, but if you were to see Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah has this vision. It's this vision of God. And it's this big and flowing vision that I'm not going to go into right now. And he's having this vision, and he's seeing these beings who are flying around, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So this guy Isaiah, he's having this vision, this supernatural vision of god as though he's standing in front of god and he sees him and the first thing that comes to his mind is he says woe is me for i am lost the niv says i am ruined i'm ruined and this is a prophet of god who says i'm in front of god and i am ruined i am lost and he says, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is in this place where he says, I am ruined. And guess what else? Demons are in this place of saying, I am ruined. To encounter the living God is to immediately be made aware of all of your faults. And men and women, one day you will meet him. One day you will see him. One day you will be in his presence. And it will be a terrible day for some. And it will be a glorious day for others. But it is an awful thing. It is an awful thing to be there without the grace of Jesus Christ. The demons know this and believe that they're gonna be tormented. Perhaps this man knows this. He sees it and he realizes, if I get too close to him, if he knows about the evil that's in my life, I am in big trouble. And so what happens? It says that Jesus had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. And they're not liking this. It's an uncomfortable time for this man. And it says that very often these these beings, these evil spirits had seized him. He was kept under guard and he was bound with chains and shackles. But he'd break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. His life is a mess. He's naked. He is... Hurting himself. He lives in a graveyard. His life is out of control. He's tried all of the man-made restrictions of putting on uh, these chains. They, uh, he, maybe he hasn't. They have tried to control him. The world has tried to control him by putting these bonds on him. But this evil is more powerful than what our world has had to offer. This evil is more powerful in these moments And he breaks these bonds, and there's nobody that can control him. There is no earthly way for him to be controlled. There's no way for him to be in control of his life. See, what happens is this. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, or to the full, some translations say. It's really showing a contrast here, and that is that the ravages of our world have wreaked havoc on this man. They have torn up his life, and the thief has stolen his humanity. The thief has stolen his dignity. The thief has stolen all control out of his life. His life is out of his hands. There is no worldly power that can control him. He is completely at the will of Satan. He is completely full of evil, and he cannot change it. He cannot redirect it. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. It goes on to say, no one understands, No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If that's not bad enough, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps or snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3.10 says about all of humanity that we're all in this place of being destitute. Romans 3.10 says that everybody is in this position of being controlled by, being manipulated by. This... Whoa. Oh my gosh. Lord, is that you? That was an amen from... uh, the Holy Spirit, okay. <sighs> it scared me a little bit. Okay. Uh, we are in the midst of being controlled by. I don't know how many of you have seen The Social Dilemma. The uh, show on Netflix about basically how evil social media is and how, how our world is slowly controlling us. We think that we have more control over our life but more and more and more the illusion of control, the the curtain is being pulled back on the illusion of control. The, The curtain is being pulled back on how evil our world is. It's being pulled back on the reality that I don't just disagree with the other side but I want them to cease to exist. I would prefer that they would be gone. It's, it's this idea that uh, everyone is my enemy. It talks about how there's more and more and more problems. And these people are asking themselves, I don't know what the problem is with this. I don't know what's, what's really going on here. Why is social media tearing apart our world? Why is this happening? And it's because there is no category that they have to be able to explain that there is no one righteous, not even one. Our world says people are basically good. But what we see from social media is that people are not even close to good, but they're evil. It's the snide comment. It's the the way that each of us communicates on social media. It's the way that these parties keep getting built up and built up and more angry and further apart from each other. There's no one righteous, not even one. Our world does not believe That there is this level of evil in us. Just like the the old Smashing Pumpkins song that talks about the killer in me is the killer in you. We're we're basically the same. I'm somebody who has desired the death of someone else. And you're no different. And we're no different. This man's life was out of control. There was nothing in this world that could bring him back. There's nobody that could control him. And his life was being destroyed. And our world says it has an answer for you. It has a solution for you. It has a way to control that. And yet everything is spiritual. And Jesus has control over all spiritual. We do not see the torment that we are under. We do not see the devastation. We do not see our level of lostness. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. Another passage says, legion, for we are many. One of the most ominous statements of evil in scripture. I think about that occasionally. Legion, for we are many. That would be kind of freaky. A legion is a number of troops in an army that numbered about 6,000. This man and the evil spirits in him perhaps numbered into the, uh, into the thousands. Who knows? We don't know exactly. But Jesus asks him his name, and he says his name is Legion. He has taken on the name of his evil captor. Our world wants to name you. Our world wants to tell you who you are. Our world wants to say that this is what you are but you must understand this. You must understand that it is not our world. It is not our, the evil in your life that gets to name you. Jesus is the one who names you. Jesus is the one who gets to bring out your true self. Our, our culture says that you must go into the world and you can find yourself. You can discover who you are. Meanwhile, what they're constantly doing is they're, they're accentuating And they're drawing out and they're bringing to the surface that really what's going to make you really happy is if you serve your own needs. If you serve yourself. If you seek to just build yourself up. Don't let anybody tell you that, that you shouldn't be able to do this. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. And the problem with that is that now we have billions of people on this planet not just because of social media, but because of evil since the beginning of time. Billions of people that are hearing the message over and over again, you are what you decide that you want to be. And they think that they have control in that, but in the meantime, they are being named by their culture. They're not being named by their creator. And instead of being brought into the abundant life, which they think that they're going to get. They believe that they're going to enter into utopia. They believe that they're gonna enter into some type of incredible existence because they have chosen to believe the lies that are running through their minds and and pervasively running through social media and and news and uh, friendships and books and all of this stuff. They're believing those lies and they don't see that they're not having the abundant life But everything in their life is being stolen. It's being broken down. It's leading them to devastation. It's leading them into a graveyard. It's leading them into the desert. It's leading them to a place without clothes and without a home. Satan's desire for your life is that he would name you. Satan's desire for your life is that he would control your identity, that he would control everything about you. And men and women, if somehow you showed up today and you said, that's not happening with me, you've got another thing coming. Because our churches are not alive in the way that they should be. I am not alive in the way that I should be. We are not powerful in the way that we should be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason is, is because we have bought into the lie that the thief has not come to steal, kill, and destroy, but he's where I really get abundant life. And Jesus is gonna steal. He's gonna kill, and he's going to destroy me. And that is evil working through our culture and in our minds, and it's telling us a lie. And so Jesus had asked him his name, and it says they begged him. Many commentators say, here you have a demon who's praying to Jesus. They begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. We don't know what that means. Where is the abyss? Is it the sea? Is it uh, wherever? We're not sure. This whole little section here is like there's not a lot of answers. Now, a large herd of pigs, Mark says 2,000 pigs, was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, again, to let them enter these. Crazy story. The demons are like, hey, don't send us into the abyss, send us into those pigs. Lots of questions here. Can animals be possessed? I think some of you have some animals that seem possessed. So I think we should, let's, let's just say that's probably true, okay? Uh, I had a dog named Buddy, it was a cocker spaniel. I thought it was possessed as well. So, uh, so they, they said, send us into the pigs. Can animals be possessed? We're not sure, uh, but we, this says that they can be. He gave them permission. Why would Jesus do that? Again, doesn't give us an answer. The demons came out of the man, they entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And there's so many questions here, like why would Jesus allow this much bacon to be destroyed in one sitting? Like, I mean, how could a loving God allow something like that to happen? We don't know. These are answers or questions we don't know the answers to. But that's what happened there. Jesus has control over the spirit world, and he controls it in that moment. So then it says this, verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. So they, they, they see what happened and they're like, oh my gosh, you know that guy who's right by the lake and he like won't let us pass and he's, he's like crazy, shrieking and all of this stuff. Some of the other passages say hurting himself constantly. You know that guy? Yeah, that guy. Then the people went out to see what happened. So they, 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 they come out. They want to see it for themselves. And they, they see it, and they go, oh, crud, I'm out. They fled. I didn't really even notice that till just now. They run away. No, what did I do? No, I, that's because I was reading the same verse again. Never mind. Verse 36. Then the people went out to see what happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom from the demons had gone. And what has happened to this man is that he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. And they're afraid. He's clothed. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's in his right mind. And their response is fear. Oh, my gosh. What has just happened here? Remember what happened to the disciples? When Jesus calms the storm, they're like, Who is this that controls the wind and the waves with a word? People are afraid. And it says this in verse 36. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. More fear. Who's all fearful here? The demons slash the man who's possessed by them You have the people that come and see Jesus. There's all all I don't know how many different groups of people we have here, but there's a bunch of people, and and they're so afraid that they're seized with great fear and they ask them to leave. I just want you to leave. Just get out of here. See, here's what can happen. When you see Jesus work this powerfully, and evil is working its way into your life, when you see this level of of power, when you see what Jesus can do, one of the ways that you can respond is you can say, I don't want any part of this. I I, I don't want any part of this. I, I, I don't want my life to change that way. Some people say it might be because these people were the owners of the pigs. We have no idea. Perhaps this was a huge hit on their business. Why would Jesus even allow that? We don't know the answer to that question. But they're they're basically saying, if this guy can do that to my business, then I don't want anything to do with him. I would have to give up everything. I would have to give up control. I I would have to no longer be led by my own feelings, by my own desires by the stuff that's going on in my life, I would have to be somebody who is complete, who has submitted myself to Jesus. I would have to be somebody that's no longer for myself. I'd have to be somebody that is for God and about his glory. Woo! Somebody was yelling in case you didn't know that. I would have to be some, excuse me. My life would change. Would you listen for just a moment? Some of you, and maybe most of us, are afraid of getting this close to Jesus. I'm okay with being at church, but I'm not okay with getting that close. I'm okay with identifying with Christianity But I'm not okay with getting too close to people. Because if I get close to people, that's the body of Christ. And if I get too close to them, then they're going to start pointing out stuff in my life. And Jesus is going to get picky with the stuff that's in my life. If I get close to Jesus, then I would have to give up all of my thoughts on spirituality. I'd have to admit that I don't really know what's going on. I'd have to sacrifice all of my thoughts there. And so there's some of you who are just straight up, have never believed that Jesus is the son of God that can save you from your sin. And for you to get close to Jesus means that you would have to believe that what Jesus says about your sin is true. And that is that it separates you from God, that you will never reach the abundant life, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You believe in some way that you have what it takes. And so you say, Jesus, I just want you to leave. I just want you to leave. I don't want Jesus in public discourse. I just read a comment like that on a Christian article where somebody said, I'm tired of you Christians bringing your beliefs into culture. I'm tired of you uh, having, having an opinion about life. I'm tired of this. And basically what she's saying is she's saying, my opinion is the only opinion that should matter. Our culture is repeatedly saying, take your Jesus out of here. Jesus, would you please leave because you're making us all feel guilty. You're making us all feel like we don't have what it takes because that's what Jesus does. When Jesus walks in the room, there's an immediate sense of, woe is me, I am ruined, I better get right with God. And as long as Jesus isn't here, I won't feel that way. And we give into that in our culture repeatedly, over and over again, when we refuse to act like believers on a regular basis, when we refuse to announce Jesus Christ as Savior, as King, when we never proclaim the goodness of God in our culture, because it makes people feel uncomfortable, and some of us might even say, "Hey, I, I don't want to do that. I, I, I want to come. I want to be. I want them to see that I'm cool. I want them to see that I that I'm that I'm relevant. That I have what it takes. And that uh, Christian people can be cool too. But that coolness leads us to." lukewarmness, but this man is not lukewarm, they're seized with fear, and they ask him to leave, and Jesus hears him and says, all right, sounds good, that might be one of the scariest parts of this passage, to say to Jesus, I don't want you here, and Jesus says, all right. I'm out. But he doesn't leave him without a witness. Verse 38, the man whom the demons had gone begged how much, or begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And you might have missed this, but what's happening here is that this man says, I want to be with Jesus. I've been with Jesus. I've seen what Jesus can do. My life has changed. I'm sitting with Jesus. I'm clothed. I'm no longer in a graveyard. I'm no longer isolated. Now I'm in community, and I'm hanging out with all these cool guys like uh, Peter and John and Matthew and Bartholomew, whatever, and hanging out with all these guys. Like, I want to hang out with Jesus all the time, and he's like, I just want to be here with you. And Jesus says no you can't stay here you can't be here right now I want you to go back to your home and I want you to declare how much God has done for you and Luke says and he went away proclaiming and that word proclaiming is preaching it's really it's the same word as preaching and so this man goes back into his culture and and. I don't even know what this sermon would have been like. I mean, you have a, a, a demon-possessed man turned preacher. And so he stands up and he says, there was this one time when I, I had these demons. I didn't have any clothes on. And this guy, Jesus, walks up and he's like, who are you? And I was like, no way. And, and, and then I was sitting there. I mean, was it that kind of sermon? I don't know. Or was it a sermon that says, I had tried everything to stop. I had tried everything to get my life under control. I tried everything. I felt like I had made it to the heights of success, and yet... In my heart of hearts, I knew that I was naked and living in a graveyard and living in isolation. I was in the midst, and maybe you too, feel like you're naked and that you're isolated and that you don't have what what it takes. All of the lies of your culture have come into your mind, and maybe you've come to this place where you, you realize, this is just destroying me. I realize... That everything is being stolen from me. I don't really have a person. I don't really have a personality. I don't really have anything of my own. I've just borrowed everything from my culture. Maybe you feel like that too. But Jesus has control. Everything that you've tried, Jesus is more powerful Everything that you've ever thought that might change you, everything that you ever thought might numb the pain of the abuse that you went through, everything that you, that you feel like was going to fulfill you, it will not work because your problem is spiritual. It's not tangible. It's intangible. It's a spiritual problem. And I wonder if he spoke to the Christians and said, Hey, you know, there's that passage in Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, which I didn't mark, where he's speaking to the church in Laodicea. He's speaking to church people. Jesus speaks to them and he says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot, uh, cold or hot. So, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. This is one of the richest times that we've ever experienced. I keep saying this, you have more money, we have more money than any culture ever has. I have prospered. Yeah, we're going through a pandemic and maybe you lost your job, but there's a lot of other people who have more work. A lot of money coming from the government. There's gonna be more money that streams in because of the fires. I need nothing I don't need Jesus you know why you don't feel like you need Jesus because it's more difficult for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven not realizing that you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked now would you think about that for a second with me What does a demon possessed man that's naked and sitting in the middle of a graveyard have to do with me? Jesus looks at dead, lukewarm churches and he says, You're no better. Jesus looks at church people and he says, You have all you need? You, oh, you have all you need? said, No, I, I think I need Jesus. How badly? How badly do you feel like you need Jesus? How is Jesus on our minds? Lord Jesus, I need you today. I need you this hour. I need you this moment. Jesus, I, I need you to work out the situations of my life. How badly do you need Jesus? How badly do I need Jesus? Because I feel it in my, in my bones. I feel it in my brain. I feel it in my heart. I'm comfortable. God has blessed me immeasurably. God has, has, has blessed me beyond what I could ever imagine with an incredible family and an incredible home. I've, I feel it. With Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea, Jesus' words are to us, they're to you and to me. And they say, You and I don't realize that what we're saying to Jesus is, Jesus, would you leave? Because I'm feeling uncomfortable here. I'm feeling uncomfortable. My desire for our church, my desire for our city, is that there would be thousands upon thousands of people that come to a point where they say, I might as well be demon possessed because that's what I'm acting like. And my biggest problem is this I'm just like a Pharisee. I am wretched, I am pitiable. I am poor, I am blind, and I'm naked, and I don't even see it. Men and women, the demon-possessed guy is in a better position than you and I are in because it's obvious what his sin is. We do not see how obvious our sin is. The good news is this. Jesus has come to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The people who get it, the the people who understand the gospel, get so close to Jesus that it feels like he's going to torment me. But then you get to experience the grace of Jesus because Jesus is here and he is saying to you, The demon-possessed man is preaching a sermon to you, and he's saying this. I was so evil. I was so torn down. I was so hooked on whatever. I was so lost. And Jesus came in, and he loved me, and now all I want is I want to be with him. Jesus shows you this morning the level of that love with his gospel, with his good news, The good news is this, is that you get to have relationship with Jesus Christ. You get to have relationship with Jesus because he went to the cross for you and for me. And the way to receive that is first to acknowledge I'm ruined without it. I deserve death. I deserve to be tormented, to be cast into the abyss with the demons. I deserve to die, and yet Jesus died for me and for you. That, my friends, is life-changing. That is what changes us from the inside out. That is what releases us from believing the lies that our culture has to tell us. Would you pray with me? Oh God, I'm asking this morning that you would awaken our hearts to the reality that we are no better than this demon possessed man. We are just as lost. We are just as naked. We are just as pitiable. And Lord, we don't see it. We say we're rich. We already have everything we need. And Jesus is exclaiming to us. You are exclaiming to us. Come and buy from me. Stop spending your money on all of your pleasures, but come and buy from me. Lord, may we buy from you. May we put our time and energy. May we put our resources behind you you.